We're going to be turning to Psalm 130 this morning, and uh, I think I have a single goal in mind, and that is to point you to the living God who is able to pull you out of your depths. It's a psalm that I am convinced is a psalm for sinners and saints. It's a psalm for those who for the first time realize the extraordinary depths to which their sin and their guilt has taken them. And it's for sinners who, or for saints who are walking with God and sometimes get entangled in sin and are overwhelmed by temptation. And in their depths, they cry out to God for help and he rescues and delivers them. It's a psalm that I have realized as I've been looking at it is a favorite of the saints of old. Uh, And by that, I mean John Owen. John Owen was probably one of the most brilliant theologians that Britain has ever produced. He lived in the 1600s, and I have most of his volumes of his works on my shelf at home. And one of the best volumes is the volume on sin and temptation. It's worth the slugging it through. Um, there's summaries of it in smaller works that are very much more readable. But at the end of this volume of Sin and Temptation, he has an exposition on Psalm 130, 321 pages. And I say that only because you th- you f- we find ourselves in the depths sometimes because of our sin and our guilt. And the Bible can pull us out of those depths and bring us into the presence and the glory of God. I was reading a quote from James Montgomery Boyce. He was a pastor of a 10th Avenue Presbyterian, I believe it was in Philadelphia. And he noted that it was this psalm in particular that drew uh, Charles Wesley to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And he writes, One afternoon of the same day, which his heart was strangely warmed and he truly trusted Jesus for salvation, John Wesley attended a Vesper service at St. Paul's Cathedral in the course of which Psalm 130 was sung as an anthem. Wesley was greatly moved by this anthem, and it became one of the means God used to open his heart to the gospel of salvation. And then I was also reading of Martin Luther, and Martin Luther loved the Psalms, and he has written a great deal on the Psalms, and he writes one time of the fact that he was buffeted by the devil. He and the devil had a long-standing war. It's fascinating to read some of the things Martin Luther uh, writes when he talks about his battle with the devil. But he says, when he was buffeted by the devil at Coburg and in great affliction, he said to those about him, come, let us sing that psalm out of the depths in derision of the devil. I love that. Let's use the word of God to hammer the devil. And he says, surely this psalm is a treasury of great comfort for all who are in distress. As we think about this psalm, I just want to place it within a context of the Bible very quickly before we open it up. You probably notice if you have your Bible open that at the top of this song, right underneath it, there's a heading, a psalm of ascents. There are 15 of these psalms, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And ascent means to go up. And some of you would know that three times a year, 
All the males and the females went with them. They journeyed up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was set on a hill, and so they would journey from wherever they would, and they would make their way up to Jerusalem for three main feasts that they remembered. The Feast of uh, Passover, which was a, 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 a remembrance of the delivery of the people of Israel from Egypt. They would celebrate uh, seven weeks later the Feast of uh, Harvest, or what we would know as Pentecost. And then they would celebrate at the end of the fall harvest in a time of thanksgiving for God's provision and God's protection, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles as we call it. And by the way, it's uh, just interesting to note that it was at the end of that feast on October the 7th, a seven-day feast that Hamas attacked Israel. And so these are times when Israel would go up all together to Jerusalem three times a year. And on their way, they would sing and recite these psalms. And so they were very much a part of the warp and woof of their life three times a year. It's also, I think, helpful to note that uh, this is one of uh, seven penitential psalms. Uh, penitential psalms are, are psalms in which the psalmists write about the, the depth of their sin, And they talk about uh, the effects on their bodies, my bones wasted away. They talk about the impact of sin and guilt on their emotional life, and they talk about it on their spiritual life, and then they describe the way out of those desperate situations. And so Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, probably the most well-known of the penitential psalms. Psalm 143, Psalm 130, these are all penitential psalms. And so Psalm 130 is the sixth of those seven penitential psalms. And it's a beautiful reminder that the sinner can find forgiveness and mercy with the living God. As I have thought about this psalm, I initially had no outline for you, um, just uh, wing it. And then uh, late last night, I was just kind of working it through, and I, I came up with my own four words. And the first word is depths. Uh, out of the depths, I cried to you, and that's verses one to two. Uh, the second is forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness, and that's verses three and four. And then verse five and six, it's self-talk. We as a congregation, if you've been here any length of times, understand that we have talked a lot about self-talk. And then finally, the last two verses are proclamation, where he proclaims to others the forgiveness and the, the, the redemption that he has found in Christ Jesus. So as we come then to this particular song, uh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Out of the depths. The depths are often referred to watery places in the book of Psalms and even the rest of the Bible. Psalm 69 is a psalm that I have in my life uh, found times when I have 
absorbed it, lived in it, fought it. It begins with the psalmist saying there, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck and I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. In verse 14, he says, deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters. There's considerable emotions surfacing as these pilgrims are making their way. They, they were called pilgrim festivals. And I'm sure as they walked together as groups of families and, and neighborhoods and relatives, they would talk about these psalms. And I would suspect that among some of them, emotions would be running really deep. Some of them maybe couldn't articulate what was going on in their hearts and minds, but they were heavy because they knew that they had been caught in sin or they were dealing with guilt and shame from previous sins, or maybe in their mind's eye as they're walking up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, they remember the last time that they walked up to Jerusalem, and in between those two times, something had happened in their spiritual walk with the Lord. Maybe they looked around, and as they were walking, some were joyfully singing these songs and were relishing the mercy of God, and others had their heads hung low. Their, their shoulders hunched over, and you could tell they were in pain. Barely able even to mouth the words as the rest of them were singing this psalm together. Even the thought of the depths was paralyzing for them. And maybe one would turn to another and say, what are the depths? Maybe I think even of little children as they're learning about the faith of their, their parents or their faith of their relatives. And one would turn to the other and say, what are these depths? And the response would be, well, the depths mean I'm in over my head. I have no place to set my feet. I can't touch the bottom. And the response might be of the questioner, well, what happens to somebody in the depths? Is there any hope? Is there any deliverance for them? Can you help them? And the response might be, no, I can't help them. But listen carefully to what they're singing. Do you hear who they're talking to? Do you hear who they're crying out to? And they would listen and they would say, out of the depths, O Lord, I cry to you. O Lord, rescue me. Be attentive to my pleas for mercy. And they might have pointed them. Remember Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah who disobeyed God and was running from God and was cast over from the boat and he sank into the depths and a whale came along and swallowed him up. And remember what Jonah said. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried and you heard my voice. Do you remember that the waves and the waters and the blubber of the whale could not stifle their cry? for mercy to the Lord. You might notice as people are walking along that as they're walking and they've been singing this psalm and maybe there's a lunch break and somebody just kind of trickles off to the field somewhere and maybe sits on a rock with their head hung low and you know that all of a sudden it's penetrated their heart and they're beginning to call out to God. Or maybe they make their journey and they're setting up their tents as they get ready for the night and the tents are all set up and everything's settled down and somebody slinks off into a field and their head is hung low. But the words of this psalm have begun to give them hope 
And in their depths, you begin to hear the whimpers or the wails as they cry out to God for mercy. Loved ones, do you know that in the depths you can cry out to God? Do you know that when the guilt of your sin overwhelms you and the reality of your sin cripples you, that there is one you can turn to? There is one you can call out to and he will hear your pleas for mercy. And what do they say in the depths? I've hinted at, oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. Isn't that what we long for when we're in the depths, when, we, when we're, we're, the pressure of the depths is, is, is almost crippling in us? We, we just long for somebody to hear our cry, to hear our pleas for mercy. There's a note of desperation here. Lord, hear my voice. It's a personal call. It's a personal cry for grace and mercy of the one who has become aware of their own desperate situation. I hope you know that the noise of your circumstances can never stifle the sound of your cry to the Lord God. It will always penetrate into heaven to the ears of our Heavenly Father. Lord, listen to me. Give me your ear. Be attentive to me. Don't you find that remarkable? Maybe some of you are, are sort of off-put by that or, or shocked by that to think that there is one who knows the hearts and hears the voices of every single human he has ever created. That he's not too busy He's not too preoccupied. He's not wandering off dealing with somebody else that he has to put your cries on hold for a moment. This is the amazing thing about the magnitude and the size of our God that wherever you are and whoever you are and how deep you have found yourself, you can cry out to God and you can say, hear my prayers and you can know that he is attentive to the cry of your heart. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God who has revealed himself to us. This is the God who many of us have a relationship with, who many of us have had this experience of being in the depths. Well, all of us at one point have. We were sinners in need of salvation and we were made clearly aware of our guilt and sin and we were shown the remedy and we put our trust in Jesus Christ. But others of us who have walked with God as saints have known the depths of crushing defeat when we have walked away from God or turned our backs on him momentarily, become entangled in sin, and as a child of God have cried out of the depths, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think the worst thing in the world is to find yourself in the depths and think that there is no way out. To find yourself in the depths and think there is no hope of deliverance. I want you to hear this morning, no matter who you are, no matter how deep you might be, no matter how heavy the pressure of something you've done is, there is a God who will hear your cries for mercy. Just cry out to him. That's where we come to verses three and four and we find this amazing reality of forgiveness. He begins with a, a statement or a question, so to speak. If you, O oh Lord, 
should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's a lot of reasons we find ourselves in the depths, but the psalmist is saying there's a particular reason. And these depths are worse than any other depths, and that is to realize that you are caught in your sin. And to realize that there is God who knows about that. There, the one who made us, the one who created us, the one who has set a pattern for our life. He sees us, he knows us, he sees our hearts. And the psalmist understands if you had a check mark, if you kept a ledger, if you wrote everything down that I said that was wrong, everything that I did was wrong, everything I thought was wrong, every motive and intent of my heart that, that was wrong, I would be toast. I could not stand before you. It's this tension. It's this word iniquities. I don't know if you think about this word or if you're familiar with this word iniquities. I don't know how you would describe it to somebody if somebody said to you, well, what are iniquities? It, it, it caught me as I was working this through on the particular way as they're walking up to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And they're singing this song and talking about this psalm. If you should mark iniquities, and they're going to kill the Passover lamb of whose blood would be shed to deal with the anger of God towards their sin. If they even had a sense of the breadth of iniquity, how would you answer a grandchild or a child if they said, Grandpa, what are iniquities? Daddy, what are iniquities? Mama, we heard this in Sunday school today, iniquities. I don't know what those are. I suppose you could start maybe and talk about authority a little bit with them and say, you know, there is authority and every time authority asks us to do something and we don't do it, that's an iniquity. We think that we know better. We think that we don't have to obey. We think we don't have to listen. So iniquity is when you turn your nose up at somebody who is an authority over you. Why is it that we would listen to God? They might ask you then if you say, well, God is an authority over us. Well, why would we listen to God? Well, you know that God made this world and everything in it the farthest reaches of the universe, the deepest depths of the sea, every single human being that has ever been made, he has formed them and created them in their mother's womb. He owns them. And so because he made them and because he owns them, he can set the parameters to their life. Just as things that you own and things that you make, you can do with as you wish. And so you could share it with them how God powerful, beyond any imagination, has made them and set parameters for their lives. There could be discussions around the things that help us understand iniquities, like God gives us laws, or he gives us rules, or he gives us statutes, or he gives us commands, and you could talk about those things. We have rules when you play on the sports field. We have, we have, we have commands that guide our driving, well, some of our driving, um, <laughs> 
but we have commands and rules that determine the, uh, that we don't live in chaos. And so you could say, you know, God has set things in place so that this world is not in chaos and your life is not in chaos. And we all know that when you set those aside in a home or in a workplace or in a world, there is chaos. And so you could say to your little child, honey, iniquities are chaos. Or another might simply be, iniquities are when you just say no to God. You say, God, I don't want to live by your rules. I don't want to walk by your rules. I don't want anything to do with your rules. That is sin. That is iniquity. There's three main words in the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, describe sin or iniquity. Let me quickly share them with you. Because I think they help us if we were meant to explain this to somebody else. The first is kata. It's used uh, 593 times in the Old Testament. You may have heard this. You know what it means? It means to miss the mark. That's a great way of describing sin, to miss the mark. It's illustrated in the book of Judges in, in a very peculiar way that it is said of these warriors, these men who were brilliant with a sling, a sling is where you, you, know, you long a uh, hunk of leather and a, a pouch and then they would put rocks in, they'd fling it around and they could fling a rock and never miss the mark. And so iniquity or sin is missing the mark that God has set for us. It's falling short of the things that God has laid out for us. The second word is pesha. It's another side of sin. It means to rebel or transgress. And so every time you go skiing and you go out of the boundaries, you pay shot. And you pay for it too. But, but you, you, you transgress the boundaries. You say, that's not for me. That might be for somebody else, but that's not for me. And so sin is described in many times as, as, as overstepping the boundaries or disregarding the boundaries that God has placed for us. And the third is, is the word actually iniquity, uh, a one. It's used about 136 times in the Old Testament. And it implies willful violations by an inferior against a superior. It could be a child to their parent. It could be an employee to an employer. It could be a soldier to their commanding officer. It's whenever somebody in an inferior position says, I don't give a rip what my boss tells me to do. I don't give a rip what my parents tell me to do. I don't care. I can do what I want to do. That's another way in which sin is described. So sin is understood. Iniquity, you could say to this person, is understood in relation to God who made you. And it's really your disregard for God. Your unwillingness to live your life in the pattern that God has laid out for you. And so as they sang this song, some would think, oh man, I've missed the mark. As they sang this song, others' hearts would convict them and say, wow, I've really looked at God and say, I don't like your boundaries. I'm going to live my life the way I choose to live. As they sang this song, some would remember how they might have said in their heart, I don't want you to rule over me, God. But notice verse 4. 
After verse 3, if you should mark iniquities, Lord, who should stand? I've, we've, we've said this a few times. Some of the buts in the Bible are the most beautiful three-letter words ever. But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. That's incredible, is it not? But with you, there is forgiveness. It blows us away. We are, we're not forgiving naturally. We're restitutionaries. I just made that word up. You owe me. You've done this to me. You owe me. You've done this to me. You've got to make it up to me. You've done this to me. You've got to fix it and set it right. But with God, with you, there is forgiveness. That's what the psalmist prays in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know that my transgressions and my sin are ever before you. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. There's those three words. God forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. I hope you know, I hope you hear that when you're in the depths and your sin is dragging you down or you're in the depths and the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin is like the pressure just squeezing the life out of you, that the God who made you will hear your cry for mercy and will forgive your sin. God dominates this psalm. If you're one that marks your Bible, I would encourage you to underline all the uses of Lord. There's eight of them. One is the Lord Adonai, and the other is the Lord Jehovah. Three times the Lord Adonai is used, and Adonai is a, is a way of referring to a God who is the sovereign Lord, the sovereign master. And it's almost a, a way that the psalmist is praying to the Lord, O Adonai, with you, there is forgiveness of sins. There is no barrier. There is no hindrance. There is nothing that is stronger than you, more powerful than you. There's nothing that I could have done that, that you are not sovereign over, you are not Lord over, that you can't move right out of the way and make my path back to you clear. Or Lord Jehovah, the God who has made a covenant with me, whose steadfast love will be with me till the day I die. Eight times, again and again and again and again, the psalm drives you back to the Lord. Beloved, God is not indifferent to the depths we find ourselves in. He is not distant. He is not fickle. He is not ambivalent. He is not stingy. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. Have you ever agonized over your iniquity? Have you ever felt the crushing pressure of guilt and shame? And I'm not just saying as a sinner before you ever knew God, 
because we all need to have felt that before we turn to God. That's why the law of God is so important still to read and to hear the Ten Commands. Because they remind us that we are out of step with God. But have you ever, as a saint, been crushed in the depths? The psalmist says in another place, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. There is incredible joy and happiness that God gives to the one who has turned to him for help in their distress. That word blessed is it's a wonderful word. Uh, it's used in the uh, New Testament, in the Beatitudes. Oh, the joy of, or oh, the happiness of the one. For all of you who have experienced the forgiveness of sins, there is incredible joy. When you come to understand that God's mercy has taken your sin and dealt with it, that God's mercy and grace has dealt with your shame and your guilt, has put it behind his back. He has removed it as far as the east is from the west. He will never recall it again. He has dealt with it fully and finally in Christ Jesus. When you begin to grasp that and, and you begin to breathe a little bit, there's a sense of happiness and joy that comes from knowing you are good. You can stand before God because of what Christ has done for you. That's where you come to the self-talk of this text. What do you tell yourself uh, when you're in the depths and as you're realizing that God is a God of mercy? You say, well, I w God, I'll wait for you. God, I will hope for you. You, you. you talk about scriptures that you've heard. You remind yourself of the promises of God's forgiveness, the promises of redemption, his mercy, his grace. You call those to mind you. Talk yourself uh, to sleep with them. You talk yourself in the morning as you get up with those promises. Your hope is in the Lord. Your steadfastness is a focused waiting upon the Lord. In your word, I hope. In your steadfast love, I wait. And notice he says, like a watchman. We don't have watchmen in our world anymore, really. We might have night watchmen in a, in a store, maybe, or in a, in a mall or something to just sort of watch things over the night. But in, in the ancient days, they would have walled cities, and, and there was always a threat of danger. And a watchman would be, they'd have shifts in the night, and they'd sit on the walls, and usually at the gates of the city, and their job was to stay awake and to stay alert and to watch for any present danger. And the last shift of the, uh, of the night was always the most difficult because it was the darkest. And so they would sit on the wall and every time there'd be a, a rustle in a bush, they'd, they'd be alert and think, are we in danger? Every time they maybe heard an animal and they didn't know it was an animal, they heard a noise, they would be alert. And they longed for the dawn because at the dawn, they could see clearly. At the dawn, they could see that the noises they heard were nothing to worry about. And the dawn bought them incredible relief. And so it's an image that he says, listen, when you're in the depths of sin, look for the Lord, watch for the Lord, because his forgiveness is as sure and certain as the dawn is in the morning for the watchman that's waited through the night. This is what you tell yourself. There is forgiveness in no one else. There is mercy in no one else. I will wait for the Lord. I will hope for the Lord. And then there's the proclamation. 
he's gone now from a personal thing. He says, I got to tell others. I got to tell others that are in the depths. I, I've got to tell them what God has done for me. I've got to tell them about my God. I've got to tell them that there is a God who can forgive their iniquities. There is a God who will deliver them out of the depths. There is a God who will set them in a sure and certain place. And so he says, with the Lord, this is like a proclamation. Do you know that with the Lord, there is steadfast love. If you are a child of God, he will never let you go. Never, ever, ever let you go. He is faithful. He is true. His word can be counted on. It is an eternal word that can never change and never be undone. And notice what it says at the end of verse 7. With him, there's a little bit of redemption. With him, there's barely redemption. With him, there's just enough. No, with him, there is plentiful redemption or abundant redemption. That means you have no need to to fear, no worry that something might be missed, no no concern that that there is something really deep, deep, deep inside of you that, that he doesn't know about or that he can't cover. No, with him there is plentiful redemption. He lavishes his grace upon us. He is rich in mercy. Do you know that? It's hard for us because that's not what we're normally like. With others, we, we set boundaries, we set parameters, we have check marks. Well, they're just going to do it again. Or they don't know how much they've hurt me. Or they don't know what it's cost for me to make this right. And we have all these things that limit our ability to understand plentiful redemption. But with God, there is plentiful redemption. And notice what he says, and he will redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. More than enough for all of my sin. More than enough for all of your sin. More than enough for all of our sin. More than enough for any who will put their trust in him. There is plentiful redemption. We've been talking about Christ in the Psalms. I've been working this through in my head. I don't know if I've got it right. But what would Jesus have been thinking as they made these three times yearly trips up to Jerusalem. It says that his parents would go up every year to the feast and they took Jesus with him. And in fact, that's one of the times, remember Jesus was in the temple talking, he was 12 years old. He had gone up for this feast and on the way they would have sang these songs. And what would Jesus have been thinking in his head and his heart as as they were singing these songs and as he recited those songs? I gotta be about my father's business. And what's his father's business? To bring about redemption for all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and how would this psalm have been on his mind that very last time when he was 33 years old as he was making his time, way up to the Passover in which he would become the Passover lamb? What do you think would have gone through his head out of the depths I cried? He knew he was sinless. Do you think he all of a sudden realized that he would bear the guilt and the shame for all who would put their trust in him? Do you think when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That he was not 
crying out of the depths because our sin had been placed upon him? Do you not think when he read this and sung this line, but with you there is forgiveness of sins and there is plentiful redemption, that he thought, I am the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world. I will bear all the wrath and anger of God on all the sins that has ever been committed. I will bear that. It's got to be remarkable as Jesus sung these songs from his perspective as a child of Israel, but as God's sent one to deliver us. Do you think he recited Psalm 53 or Isaiah 53 as he went through this? The Lord will be pleased to crush me. I will bear the iniquities of many. Blew me away as Jesus sung this psalm of ascent. But the fact that God raised him from the dead is proof positive that there is no depths that we can ever find ourselves in through which God cannot reach out his hand and pull us out of. Because Jesus Christ bore all the depths, all the weight, all the guilt, and God didn't leave him in the depths because he was perfect and because he fully paid the penalty for all of our sins and because he fully bore the weight of God's wrath and anger for all of our sins. And the proof of that was that God raised him from the dead. So know that there is no depth that you can ever find yourself in where the reach of God cannot rescue you. There's no depth you can ever find yourself in where your voice cannot make it to the ears of our Heavenly Father. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord, be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, would mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness of sins. I wait for you. I put my hope in your word, your steadfast love. I cling to. For with you there is plentiful redemption. Loved ones, if you're in the depths this morning, as a saint, call out to God and he will be merciful to you. And if you are a sinner and never experienced the forgiveness of God, but you feel the crushing weight of decisions you've made, call out to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will bring you out of the depths and set you on firm ground. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It's a little bit solemn, I know, but it's also full of incredible hope. I thank you that there is one who can save us. There is one who can deliver us. There is one who has paid the price of all my sin. There is one who has borne the penalty of all that I deserve. His name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way through which we come to the Father. So, Father, for any who are in the depths this morning, because of their sin, because of choices they've made, Father, remind them through this psalm that with you there is plentiful redemption. With you there is forgiveness of sins. That in Christ Jesus, all of our iniquities 
have been dealt with. In Christ's name we pray, amen.